Believe it or not, it is Tuesday, July 13th. This is the macro setup. I'm always joined by my dear friend, Dan Nathan. Today's macro setup is being brought to you by our presenting sponsors, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and of course, knockouts. Later, we're going to be joined by senior strategist at Daily FX, Chris Vecchio, and of course, our other presenting sponsor, Open Exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter, Dan, for the top companies around the world. Dan, I know you're great. I'm great. That CPI number was hot, man. Hot. Yeah, right, guy. It was maybe transitory hot. It was up like (laughs) 0.9%, you know, sequentially up five and change year over year. We expected that. We're seeing hot numbers all over the place on a year over year basis. I just feel like, you know, we've had this conversation. We we know that we had this little transitory tantrum a little bit. I know. Bond market agreed with the Federal Reserve on that. For now, I I mean, we're going to hit some charts later that might indicate that there are other risk assets that also maybe agree with the uh, the view of the Fed that, that some of these price pressures are transitory, guy. Now, I mean, yeah, well, we're going to say, I mean, a lot of this was in used cars, by the way, not that anybody particularly cares, but I just listed my 2002 Tahoe <laughs> on the Facebook marketplace. We'll see if it's really working out. But the first headline we want to talk about is Chinese warning to the world. They're warning the world, Dan, that slowing V-shaped economic recovery. Maybe people should start taking note because that's been the engine. If that engine slows down, one must wonder what's going to happen here in the Atos Unis. Yeah, well, you know, this is a, a page out of the playbook guy from the post-financial um, crisis. If you recall, there was a huge commodities boom um, in like 08, 09, right when the when the globe was in this kind of this credit crisis, if you will, Chinese stimulated, and they just went through this massive spree of buying commodities. So we saw a huge run-up. I think what's interesting here this time, and listen, and there were concerns about inflation back then. I mean, people were screaming from the rooftops about the Fed and quantitative easing and all this easy money all over the globe was going to lead to runaway inflation. It never really came. Now, you obviously have a slightly different view about what the CPI measures, right? If we're really actually uh, measuring inflation um, properly. But this China headline is interesting because we've been pretty domestically focused here. We feel like we did not do a great job with the lockdowns and the quarantines, um, but we did do a good job with the vaccines. And our economy kind of opened up quicker than uh, most to the other developed economies, except for China. We know that they came out of this quickly. So the fact that they had that reserve cut on Friday that really got our markets going, we haven't seen that sort of action from across the seas in a while. Um, This is worth paying attention to what the Chinese are doing right now. No question about it. And listen, you've seen, we've talked about the individual names, obviously what's going on in Didi, but Baba, all those stocks, you wonder how long they will allow those stocks to sort of meander or be underwater. You know, my sense is for a period of time, but then they're going to, as mostly they do, they're not going to let their giants fail. And I'm not suggesting they're on the brink of failing, but at a certain point, I think they do come in. We'll see. But that brings us to our first chart, Dan. And our first chart is typically the S&P 500. And here we are, that hungry alligator. Well, nobody's fed it for a long time here, Dan Nathan. (laughs) And as we continue to go through this, you know, seemingly 4,400 is just a bit of a, a speed bump. 
here we are. That chart does look great without question. Yeah, there's no shortage of trend lines, uptrends that you could draw that, that are very supportive of higher prices here. You see the fact that the, you know, you've know you had these fairly narrow peak to trough declines over the last year. I think the largest in 2021 has been a little less than 6% here. And I really think you know you, you named this thing the hungry alligator, I think. I called it a crocodile or something. But look at that rising 200-day moving average, 38.75 in the SPX. Here we are at 4380. Um, you just do the math here, it's getting a bit wide here. Um, you know, if it tests and breaks that uptrend, there's just a lot of room um, to the downside. The most logical thing would be that kind of early April breakout level of the nice round number of 4,000 to the downside mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, I agree. And the 38.75, the 200 day moving average, that obviously coincides with sort of the late March low. Makes a lot of sense. And I call it an alligator because crocodiles are far more <laughs> ferocious than alligators are. And I think it's alligators are just more user-friendly. But, you know, I'm a Rod Stewart fan. I'm sure you are as well. I know the folks at the macro setup are. I'm certain Chris Vecchio is. But he sang a song, Every Picture Tells a Story, Don't It? Which brings us to the next chart, because this is absolutely telling a story. Why is it? Because it's the equal weight, Dan Nathan, the equal weight. And this has not broken out to the upside, not validated that S&P 500 breakout. Yeah, and I think that what's most interesting about this chart is just look over the last three months, the consolidations obviously held that uptrend line, um, but really it's not accounting for the outperformance of the FMAGA complex, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon. All of them make up 23% of the weight of the S&P 500. They've massively outperformed for the most part. Apple has just played a little bit of catch up. It's still underperforming the broad market, but all the other names are outperforming. Some Google, for instance, up more than 40 percent of the year in a big, big way. They are dragging that um, that runaway breakout in the S&P 500. But I think to your point, Guy, it's really important to get a sense of we're seeing a lot of rotations and under the hood, the breadth is not particularly great in the in the large caps. And we and we bring this up now because we're two weeks away, you know, on this July 13th from what are going to be, I think, some of the most fascinating earnings releases we've seen in quite some time, that F mega complex at the end of July. And I think it's worth watching that Those stocks have obviously been on fire, led by Amazon, which is finally broken out. Now, we don't get micro here because it's the macro setup, but I am for a second because I think it's really important. If for whatever reason, you know, those stocks report and the price action is not good, this equal weight that we're talking about will probably start to roll over. And obviously, the chart we looked at before will. It's just something to keep in mind as we head on down the road, as they say. The next chart we have to look at, obviously is the NASDAQ, because this sucker's been on fire, led by that FMAGA complex that you mentioned, and obviously a handful of other names that are leading the charge. But, you know, with each passing day, we continue to get farther and farther away from that trend line, that the uptrend line. And oh, by the way, that 200-day moving average, which seems... It just seems light years away now, Dan Nathan. Well, I, I think it's worth noting that it's about 15% away, Guy. And look at that since the beginning of May. I mean, the NASDAQ, the QQQ, the, the NASDAQ 100 was was basically flat. I mean, had really been going sideways, um, which what, what did we see? We saw a handful of those large cap names really hold it up. And we saw massive corrections in some of these um, growth names, um, you know, from their highs here. But that looks a bit unsustainable, that breakout. You know, I, I look at that breakout out level from you know just a couple months ago um or excuse me like a month ago yeah and, and you see fourteen thousand. um you know that's the next place on the downside that we kind of retest i think a lot of traders would probably look to reload there um but a break below that 
and you're going to that uh, 200-day moving average at 1,300. Which is pretty remarkable. Again, we haven't seen that in, in, in a quite a long time. Yeah. And the fact that each passing day, listen, it just leads me to believe mean reversion is coming. You know, I have a King Charles, King Charles Cavalier Spaniel, very yes, needy dog. His name is Russell, which brings <laughs> us to the next chart. The Russell seems to be very needy as well. It doesn't know what it wants extraordinarily needy, but we've been in this sideways action literally for the last, you know, five or six months. And I attribute that to the fact that, you know, rates topped out at 175. They've obviously moved down to 125. We'll look at that chart next. But the Russell is trying to figure out what does it want? Does it want continued growth in the form of higher yields or does it want yields to sort of stay at one and a half? That's what we're trying to ascertain now. Oh, and by the way, this variant is probably scaring some people as well the most economically sensitive names being that of the Russell or the small cap index. Yeah. So the small cap stocks, obviously heavy, heavily domestically weighted, a lot of financials, a lot of industrials, a lot of energy. Uh, we've seen this chart just speaks to me about the rotations that we've seen in the market. The fact that it has not confirmed any of the new highs in the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ since February. February happened to be when the or March, February, when the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield mm-hmm. um, kind of topped out. This one's really worth keeping an eye on just because the way it breaks is likely, um, you know, we'll f- see large caps follow suit here. But, Guy, speaking about rates, and this has been the main story, we have the, the an 18-month chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield here. We see that downtrend um, from March. Um, it stopped kind of where a lot of technicians thought it might stop at that 200-day uh, moving average. But this is going to be a battleground, if you will, because you know some people, me included, think that probably breaks the 200-day and maybe gets to 1%. Even this hot CPI number, I think we're going to have fits and starts with the economic data that's going to give the Fed plenty of cover, definitely through the Fed meeting at the end of this month. And then we have a whole month or so or a little more between now and that Jackson Hole meeting where maybe they signal a taper or so. But but in the meantime, you know, I just don't think hot data is going to be the thing that's going to make rates rip right now. Yeah, clearly it's not. And kudos to you, by the way, you've been saying one, one and a quarter in a 10 year. You've been saying it for months and you've been right to say it because lo and behold, that's where we traded down to. I will point out that this is an upwardly sloping 200-day moving average. I bring that up because last Thursday on Fast Money, Chris Vecchio mentioned how bullish that was. In other words, how he thought 10 years would get to that point and bounce. He was spot on. You've been spot on. We'll see what happens here. But to your point about the hot data, you're right. Nobody seems to care. And to be honest and respectful, and and for full disclosure, 30% or so of that CPI number was was created by used car sales, which almost by definition, you know, is transitory. I would give you that, but it's something to keep an eye on. We traded down the 200 day, we held, we bounced quickly. We'll see what happens here. But this to me, this chart and the dollar chart are the two ones that you have to continue to watch. But we're going to look at something that clearly was transitory, Dan Nathan. (laughs) And that's this lumber. I mean, you talk about a crazy looking chart. I mean, that's that's the stairs up and that is the elevator down, brother. Yeah, I, I think it's important to remember that we just went through this period over the last 18 months or so where no none of what happened was expected, A, and we just saw massive dislocations. We saw unprecedented levels of monetary and fiscal stimulus. Every number out there, whether it be markets or in the economy, is distorted in some way, shape, or form. And you look at this sort of, um, you know, what was going on in lumber. There was hoarding. There was price gouging. There was that everything you could think of. And then you had all the dynamics within the housing market, which were very unique because of the pandemic. So I guess this is my 
thought about crude, about a lot of other things. And I don't think crude looks like this, but there's other commodities um, that do. I think we're likely to have a bit of reversion over the back half of the year for the things that haven't corrected meaningfully yet. And just a little longer term chart for perspective, just so you see where this, yeah. where we've been, where we went to and where we're stopping at seemingly, you know, we're, we're stopping on the downside, basically at the peak of 2018. So prior resistance becomes support. And we're seeing it in the form of the sort of the 680 or so level, just something to keep in mind, Dan, Nathan, before we go to our second topic, which is growth versus value. I mean, you know, look at, Look at, I don't know who Alistair Cook is or Alistair Williamson is or whoever, but that's <laughs> he, a really guaranteed chart. Guaranteed he's a Brit and, and he's a little upset about the result on Sunday. And I'm not kind of like, you know, put it in his face or whatever, but stock board asset. I like this tweet. I saw this tweet um, earlier today. And really what this signifies, you know, it's interesting. I would say that, you know, going back to the dot-com bubble, the spread between growth and value, I think there were different things going on there. I think what's going on now now is really um, a focus um, on these. I think it's almost offensive. If you're going to deem the F MAGA, these super cap, you know, stock that why that spread is so unique. I think it's because they're all nearly 2 trillion other than Facebook, which is 1 trillion. Um, and they're just blowing out. And I think money moving into them is a bit defensive right now, whereas value is not particularly interesting. Um, you know, they've already had their trade, if you will, because of the rising rate trade. And now people don't know what to expect. So that's just a quick one we wanted to hit. But guys, this is kind of in your wheelhouse. Um, you know, we're seeing OPEC plus that was a bit of a mess last week. You know what I mean? It caused some kind of fluctuations in the oil patch, if you will. And I think it's also interesting because you've been talking about these variants and not like you've been pounding the table and trying to get people all worried about it, but to be cognizant of the fact that there are going to be fits and starts around the globe. You know, here in the U.S., we take it for granted that people want a vaccine, who wanted a vaccine, got a vaccine, and things are kind of reopening in a very normal um, sort of fashion. But these variants around the world where the vaccine is not plentiful um, is causing some disruptions now. It's very interesting. You know, we're going to look at a crude chart just so you understand what's going on here. But this is a really, this is a pretty um, compelling headline. You know, OPEC plus, the uncertainty there, the variant viruses. But you know what? Deepening supply deficit. That's really what it comes down to. So you wonder, you know, if global, if there is this global slowdown, if we don't see the robust reopening trade that everybody seems to think we're going to see globally, what does it mean for oil? It should mean prices are going lower, but yet, we're starting to talk about that, yet prices are stubbornly high. Something's got to give here. I don't know what it is. We have this crude chart you should look at. Obviously, we traded up to the levels we saw in 2018. This chart is skewed, obviously, because of that negative 39 print we saw early last year. That sort of skews the whole thing. This would be a much more compelling chart, but for that, in my opinion, but that's neither here nor there. The real chart you want to look at is a little longer-term chart, because this is what we've talked about for a while, Dan. We are in this, a, a basically a 13-year downtrend, which we traded up to last week. We touched the line. We're still here. Either something meaningful is going to happen on the downside, or we're going to break through that line. I happen to think we're going to break through that line and sort of test levels we saw in 2013 or so, but that's what makes markets. I'm sure you have a much different view. 
No, I, I just don't. And I think that, again, back to your point, Guy, um, you know, maybe we get a little bit higher here. I just don't think we're going to make a run to 100. That would be the next level. That was that 2014 high. And I think there's a lot of things at play here because I think, you know, what's different about the reopening trade for this crisis versus the global financial crisis was that, um, you know, it's just, it's still, it's going to be a rolling crisis here because there's just going to be different economies opening at different paces and different levels of stimulus. And we already know that ECB is talking about taking their foot off the pedal at some point. I suspect we hear that a little bit. And I just think that if, if we get to the end of Q3 and markets start pricing in um, a tapering at some point in Q4, then I suspect the dollar remains strong. I suspect that you see rates go higher. And I suspect that things like crude oil go lower. And I think we're going to get to normalized levels of some the supply chain issues that we have and then you know fits and starts with a global recovery i just don't see it going much higher especially if you think that rates are going higher well let's see what our guest chris vecchio the senior currency strategist at daily fx thinks chris time for you to opine you've heard what we've said over the last 16 minutes i know you have a view on crude and it happens to be your first start. welcome to the macro setup by the way chris good to have you thank you gentlemen and yes crude oil prices uh, still are on that trajectory, I think, for more gains moving forward. You know, as, as though we have seen a little bit of consolidation here running into that 2018 high, I want to point out that if we take the trend line from the November and their most recent March swing lows, thinking about a new regime uh, now that Biden's president, we see that the actual 13-week EMA, the one-quarter moving average of price action lines directly with that trend line. So I think that there's strong support. We could see a pullback in a 69 or so. That doesn't mean that this uptrend is over by any stretch of my imagination. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, we looked at that 13-year downtrend. You know, we're right up against it. We'll see how long, you know, the longer we stay here, the more inclined I'm to believe that you're going to be correct. We'll see that's what makes markets. But all this is sort of contingent, in my opinion, and what happens in the U.S. dollar, which brings us to our next chart that you brought us. Talk to us about what you're seeing here. This looks hauntingly familiar. I like that? Hauntingly familiar, Dan. Go, Chris, please. So we just had the U.S. CPI report today, and unfortunately, it's not reflected on this chart, but we did have more gains. The problem that I'm seeing here for the dollar is that as U.S. yields retrench, we've actually seen U.S. Fed rate hike odds come down. We can measure that by looking at the difference between euro-dollar contract spreads, and it seems that we have about 20 basis points less than we did after the July non-farm payrolls report priced in through December 23. So a situation where U.S. yields are pulling back, uh, we're not seeing that Fed rate hike odds are increasing, that leaves for a difficult environment for the dollar to break out. And in this low volatility environment, breakouts usually don't develop. We get that sideways chop. We get that range trading. And for right now, I don't see necessarily a catalyst with the Fed continuing to tell us that inflation is transitory despite the, you know, exorbitant price that guy is fetching for his 2002 Tahoe. Uh, we're, we're still very much in a, stuck in this symmetrical triangle. For those not on Twitter, I listed my Tahoe today. I said, given these CPI data and used car sales, I figure my 2002 Tahoe with 243,000 miles is worth at least $38,000. If you folks are uh, viewing the macro setup, I will give you a macro setup discount, but only for those that come early. Anyway, please continue, Chris Vecchio. And, and so we're looking at an environment right now where we have uh, Jerome Powell speaking this week in front of Congress. You know, but for that March 2013 speech that Ben Bernanke gave, or rather testimony that he gave, where he hinted at a taper, uh, we haven't seen any Fed officials really stake out a new position in front of Congress. And the monetary policy report released last week gave us the lower for longer mantra. I think that's what Fed Powell is going to say. I think the Fed is going to continue to look at that 
used car prices. We have the Mannheim used car price index that's starting to come down, but overall used car prices are still through the roof. You guys noted accounting for about a third of the overall increase in inflation. What will raising rates do to solve that supply chain constraint? You know, you can't make used cars, only new, new cars become used cars. And without the semiconductor uh, shortage resolved, we're still going to have a crimp there. So a reason By the for way, the Fed to look through. No, I'm sorry, but for you playing our home game, that is not Lou Mannheim used car. Lou Mannheim, of course, of Wall Street fame. That is a different Mannheim. I'm sorry to interrupt, Chris. Yet, um, that is my wants to do, please. Of course. And, you know, Dan, I know that you have some thoughts on this as well. You know, how do you think the yield situation is going to be playing out from here? Well, it's funny. You just mentioned semiconductors. And I think you mentioned the fact that there's bottlenecks, there's supply chain issues. Right. And there's a headline um, this morning, Taiwan Semiconductor, which is the largest semiconductor um, stock in the in the Philadelphia, um, you know, semiconductor index, the SOX there um, that they're having, um, you know, minor breakout of some cases over there, um, you know, in, in, in China. Um, in their big fabs and they make chips for everybody all over the world. Um, I just think those are, again, those are things that are really important to kind of keep an eye on. Um, I, I just think that, listen, is there a chance that we get um, that, that the markets uh, investors start running ahead of what might happen in late Q3, early Q4, and we see rates kind of pushing back up above one and a half and then maybe towards those prior high? Maybe. I just feel like that we're going to have fits and starts. What, what's going to happen, Chris, if we see a weak July um, job sprint? You, you know what I mean? Like, let's just say June wasn't like so gangbusters. And when you think about uh, April and May, they're like, eh, you know, so like my point is, I think the Fed's going to have plenty of cover. I think the you know, rates, you might see um, a push below that 200 day moving average, which might set off um, a lot of kind of alarm bells in macro circles, if you will, um, which is one of the reasons why in the near term, maybe supportive of crude oil. Um, there's kind of a bit of a hope trade. And I think what Guy had to say in that headline that we just touched on from the journal was that um, kind of supply um, restraint issue is uh, is really probably the near term sort of thing. So, you know, dollar likely stays bid. I mean, I look at your chart here and I say, that's a really interesting wedge that it's forming. Maybe you see um, a move back, retracing a bit of that. Um, but I'd be really shocked if it's pressing up against 89 anytime soon. I'm, I'm with you very much for that. I don't see a big decline coming. I also don't see a big rise coming. You know, we have this narrative right now about the jobs report and the jobs market you know, UI, uh, unemployment benefits are still going on. Schools yep. aren't back in session. Vaccination rates are still going up. So by the fall, I think when we get to the September, October jobs reports, that's when the Fed begins to pay a little bit more attention and take those seriously in terms of their consistency and reliability. Next thing I want to pay attention to is dollar yen, one of the premier crosses. Take a look at this. What are you saying? So we have dollar yen breaking out from a multi-year trend line, and that breakout has begun to take two different forms. When we last spoke two weeks ago, we were talking about a potential ascending triangle. And just by nature of price action, it appears that we had a false breakout. The chart's morphing a little bit here. But dollar yen is the most interest rate sensitive U.S. dollar cross because JGBs just don't do anything. And so mm -hmm. this is our proxy for U.S. yields in effect. If, if the two-year yield is going up as it is today, dollar yen is going to do well in an environment where stocks are going up, dollar yen will continue to do well. But then again, if we're talking about stocks going up and perhaps a rebound in yields, I'd rather look at crosses like CAD yen, which has exposure to oil, or Aussie yen, which is more exposed to global growth conditions than, than dollar yen in particular. But either way, there is still some hope here, so to speak, uh, that we may see some more gains. If this rising wedge is indeed the prime focus of markets, it speaks to perhaps a weaker equity environment, lower U.S. yields, maybe more chop and risk off for the foreseeable future. Hey, so Chris, 
Sorry, well, Dave, Chris, go ahead. Yeah, real quickly, Chris. So, so you just mentioned, you know, equity prices. Um, we showed that S and P five hundred um, regular weight versus the um, equal weight. What is your take on that? When you look at the fact that the the equal weight has not broken out, we know that the S and P and the Nasdaq are on runaway breakouts here. Any any thoughts on on that in the breadth of the equity markets? Yeah, you know, typically when we see that the uh, equal weighted index is underperforming the market cap weighted index, that's a sign that you don't have strong participation. That there's a few names at the top that are carrying everyone. Yeah. And so that again speaks to this whole asset churn, this reallocation that may be occurring over the next few months. Uh, when we spoke at the end of June, we pointed out that year two of a bull market, in particular that middle third of the year, is the roughest period of the year for bull markets. And we're in that right now. So uh, we could be seeing more chop. We have the Russell distribution going on. We had the S&P recently reach its consolidation target at 43.50. The NASDAQ has a little bit more to go, but ultimately I think that we could see uh, some more sideways consolidation and ultimately profit taking heading into Jackson Hole. That was a nice job by Dan Nathan, by the way. His little dog barked. He immediately put himself on mute. Well done in this age of Zoom. And apparently there was a show that I never saw, and it's entirely Seinfeld. And one of the guys used to say, it's gold, Jimmy, or something like that. Well, that's our next chart, the gold chart, Jimmy. What do you got for us, Chris Vecchio? It's, it's gold, Jerry. Uh, oh, but, Jerry, Jimmy. <laughs> uh, you know, we're still in the technical woods here, right? We've gotten back into that channel that was guiding price action from the August and, and January highs. Even as we've seen yields come off, gold has not made a significant enough of a rebound to say that we're clear. I myself am looking for a little bit more of a conservative entry here from looking at this from the long perspective again. I want to see that confluence of technical resistance in the 1830s cleared out. So above 1835, I'd feel a little bit more comfortable. Otherwise, we're running into this problem where, you know, trading is not just about price. It's also about time. We're beginning to catch that uh, trend line from the May 2019, yeah. March 2020 lows. And we could just trade that into that over the course of the summer. So you know, in the next few months, it's decision time for gold prices. No doubt about it. I mean, it's make or break. I think gold, you're, I think you're right. It's got a three or four months where it's got to make its move. Otherwise, everything that possibly could have been bullish for gold has happened, in my opinion, over the last four or five months, not least of which is going to be our bonus chart, which we'll get to in a second. And gold hasn't been able to get out of its own way. So I look at this and say, it's got to do something by October. Otherwise, you may never hear me talk about it again, although I'm hard-pressed to believe that would be the case. Dan, you wanted to bring us a bonus chart. Like the Jonas Brothers, there are three of them, but apparently there's another one that nobody talks about. He is, in fact, the bonus Jonas. Well, this is our bonus chart, Dan, Nathan. <laughs> I mean, I love what you did there, guys. So this is Thank Bitcoin. You. And, you know, it's really interesting because I think Chris's chart that he just showed, um, you know, that bid in gold really came when Bitcoin started falling apart, right, over the last few months back in um, April or so. I think it topped out in mid-April. And I just look at this Bitcoin. It just looks so heavy. I mean, draw, draw attach whatever lines you want. You know what I mean? Like, it just really feels heavy here. And, you know, if the case for gold is becoming less compelling to macro investors as you know in inflation heads that sort of thing i'm not certain that the only bull case right now for bitcoin is that much better in a way you know what i mean because i you know so listen i i love um, lots of concepts of crypto. This is just me commenting on the price action. We know that 29,000 was that low in January. Mm -hmm. And listen, things can turn on a dime. Look what happened. You know, it went from, you know, 
20 to 40 in a straight line back to 30 and then from 30 to 60 over the next couple of months that was in q1 here we are you know um, we've been trading in this range over the last um, two months or so since that kind of panic in mid-may and it feels heavy to me i just drew that little channel 29,000. that is the support if you have a break of that over the next couple of weeks and listen that would be 10% from where we are right now, you, you really don't have any support. I mean, Chris Vecchio, talk to me about this chart um, that we're looking at here. You know, one of the interesting things that we've heard a lot of over the years is that Bitcoin is an inflation hedge. And I yeah. know you may not want to see that as a contemporaneous factor right now because we're looking at data that's in the rearview mirror. But the fact of the matter is there's a stronger argument to be made that it is the risk asset among risk assets. It tracks liquidity conditions. In China, we know that the credit impulse is coming down. They're taking uh, significant steps to curb their mining activities. And so this doesn't speak to a significant fundamental tailwind for, for Bitcoin right now. And as the drum beat about the, the Fed taper continues to grow louder and louder, we're going to see those RRP numbers, the reverse repo numbers, climb through a trillion dollars over the course of the summer, in my opinion. We're going to have more demands for liquidity withdrawal coming from market participants. And I just don't think that's good for the Bitcoin narrative right now. Wow. I, I, I'm sorry, Dan. I just I get so excited. You just brought up Chris Vecchio talking my language, the reverse repo market. I'm not looking to make people's eyes glaze over, but I encourage you to go back to September 17th, 2019, where the overnight repo market sort of blew up. We're seeing similar, not the same thing. Actually, the opposite thing happened now. That was a precursor to equity volatility. I'd be interested to see if this, in fact, is the case. Thank you, Chris. Please go, Dan. No, I, I mean, my eyes were glazing over, but I, I think you, you <laughs> no, but you bring it up correctly. I mean, listen, why do we do these programs? Why do we like to kind of get away from some of the stuff that we do is shorter form, soundbitey, you know, on TV, that sort of thing? Because these are the sorts of things you got to listen to what might be happening, you know, like kind of take a view of what happened in the past and kind of think about what's going on right now. So I really appreciate Chris bringing that up. And I appreciate you reiterating it. Um, Chris, you're stud. That was a great run through of some stuff that guy and i are just not smart enough to um figure out on our own wouldn't you say so guy Dami? yeah speak for yourself i'm definitely not smart <laughs> enough dan nathan and thank you chris vecchio for joining us listen you have become a regular on the macro setup which i think both dan and i i know the audience digs i want to thank you i also want to thank you dan nathan because without you this is impossible and of course i want to thank <laughs> our presenting sponsors the first one dan Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange. Get ready, Dan, for binary options, call spreads, and what, Dan, Nathan? Knockouts, guy. Knockouts, that's correct. And, of course, open exchange. They manage virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. This was a virtual meeting, and I know it mattered. It mattered to me. It mattered to you. It mattered to Chris Vecchio. And I hope it mattered to you, our audience. We will see you next Tuesday, the 20th of July, for the next Macro Setup. Thanks, everyone. Thanks a lot.